Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcasts, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we have four awesome X titles for you on another amazing X-Men X Wednesday. We're going to be taking a look at both 10 Lives of Wolverine number one and its Marvel and its Marvel Unlimited Infinite Comic counterpart, Life of Wolverine number one, before taking a look over at Devil's Reign X-Men, a personal favorite of mine, and then closing out on X-Men Legends number 10. Now, while I've been really excited about the 10 Lives and 10 Deaths of Wolverine parallel miniseries event by Ben Percy and a number of Marvel's best artists, I had been less aware of Marvel Unlimited's Life of Wolverine Infinite comic. Marvel Unlimited has been such an amazing thing for me this last year. It's been such a great escape to get to read my back issues without having to carry around my omnibus, and it's really helped me transition over to digital comics. I pick up my comics Wednesday mornings now at 6 a.m. on my tablet, and I'm pretty much read by 7 a.m. So it's been really exciting. And by having Marvel Unlimited as sort of like a secondary escape to read comics through, it's made that transition a lot cleaner, a lot smoother. And a lot of times I'll just go on to Marvel Unlimited to look at an old back issue that I haven't thought of in a million years. And I'll see that there's a new Unlimited comic starring someone I love, or they've Unlimited adapted something that I've already read and enjoy. And while, you know, it's definitely been a kind of a your mileage may vary, sort of a win some, lose some situation, I've really appreciated a a lot of the X-Men's entries into the Marvel Unlimited Infinite Comic Collection, and Life of Wolverine was certainly no different. This issue was by Jim Zub, with art by Ramon Box, and color art by Hava Tartaglia, with letters by VC's Joe Sabino. I do want to point out that production and production management were by Annie Chang and Tom Smith III. That just kind of matters, because we so go out of our way to praise the incredible genius that is Tom Muller on this show, and it would be really remiss if we didn't mention it for or any other production artists that work on these books, especially when it's a book like these Infinity-style comics that are so visually stylized. You know, these don't read like a regular book, and they really should. What I will say about specifically Life of Wolverine Chapter 1, The Beast Within, which was released in tandem with Ten Lives of Wolverine Number 1, which, you know, actually is also on Marvel Unlimited. And as I mentioned in this segment, I only found out about this Unlimited comic while looking up the free Marvel Unlimited reader copy of 10 Lives of Wolverine number one. Uh, series contributor Drew mentioned it. I had no idea that it was up there and I just wanted to see if it was any different. It looks like it's pretty much the same. Stumble onto this thing and immediately the art on this book is stunning. It really plays into the Krakoan vines which we've seen throughout a number of the Marvel Digital Comics already using vines to transition. Not just in the pages of things like the Nature Girl saga over in X-Men Unlimited 
limited, but we've also seen it as a transition in the Shang-Chi series by personal favorite writer of mine, Alyssa Wong, who will be launching a new Iron Fist, which we will be covering so hard it's unbelievable, right? Now, The Beast Within and, you know, Chapter 1, The Life of Wolverine, this is a really light story in terms of plot. Essentially, we find out that this whole arc is going to be about Gene, chrono skimming Logan back in time, and, you know, it's really great to see them have a really intense connection again. I sometimes feel as though in an effort to continue to keep Logan a viable, sort of sexual, masculine creature, they try to keep him as far away from Gene in a romantic way as they can. And I understand you don't want to pin him down because then it sort of reduces the agency on his ability to interact with new female characters. However, I do think, though, that when we see these gene moments, then when they do come up, it just makes us want them more. Now, part of the trick of a story like this, where you're being forced to give kind of a shorthand on a character like Logan and his origin, is Logan is many characters, and Logan has had many origin points. Now here, we go back to the Joe Quesada and Paul Jenkins origin, Wolverine sort of backstory revealed. Whether or not that story really jibes with you kind of has to do with one of two things for me. I kind of think Logan having such an unclear backstory was the ultimate backstory. If it's never revealed and it's never made fully clear, there's never really anything to dial into in that regard and it sort of makes it the ultimate origin. So I think a lot of people were disappointed on the loss of the mystery. And then I think sort of the high society, Canadian wilderness, sort of complex alpha dominant sex play kind of stuff through some people off and regardless of whether or not you specifically connect with this idea of Wolverine's origin it's presented in a really attractive way here the art is absolutely stunning I actually made a screenshot of this my background the Wolverine in his new X-Men garb because we are also treated to a series of Wolverine's best costumes as we tumble through Logan's mind we see the terrific brown and yellow suit that we have used for so many years there's a transition to the brilliantly designed frank quietly new x-men look and it's got the open shirt with the dog tags doesn't get hotter than that we see another take on the wolverine brown suit before we find ourselves in what is very clearly the incredible hulk first appearance logan mask right this is a little bit different than the standard yellow that we've all gotten used to over the years and it has a lot of character in it and by using that look for wolverine instead of using perhaps the slightly more standard yellow mask it is saying that we're going to be doing a deep dive into his character i also think there is some great significance to using the new x-men jacket by summoning up the idea of new x-men and everything that went into the assault on weapon plus and how that shaped logan's path to get his memories it led us on the journey to wolverine origins as a title which divisive though it is physically exists you know what i mean like you can touch it if you go find it right so that's a thing i think very frequently one of the confusion points for many readers is this sort of extended network of titles and how do you jump into something like this i know it keeps me out of other fandoms as well not knowing where to jump in i mean i can tell you just about anything about you know 800 issues of daredevil and 2000 issues of x-men but you know i really don't think i understand a gosh darn thing about the spawn universe and i would love to know more and i think in so many ways there's kind of a double layer to why I bring this up. Something like this title, Life of Wolverine,
scene. Written and drawn exquisitely, the colors really bring the pages to life, the lettering is done in such a clever way in relation to the production, it all comes together so nicely, and it makes who Wolverine is a lot clearer if you know it exists. So it really is a sort of unfortunate thing. The answers are out there if you even know how to find them. Hopefully, Life of Wolverine Chapter 2 is a little bit better advertised because this really was a treat. It reads really quickly, and by placing it at the forefront of 10 Lives of Wolverine Number 1, it really adds maybe clarity, maybe just more beautiful art and another brilliant writer to this story because that's certainly something these two books have in common. Tremendous art and incredible voices on the writing. And so without any further ado, let's take a look at 10 Lives of Wolverine Number 1 and if you like what you hear, don't forget you might even like what you see. So don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Twitter and Instagram at X's for Podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at Marvel's mutants, magic, and many lives of Wolverine week after week. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, guys. I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn now uh, at Comic underscore Canary. How professional. Hey guys, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drewsifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. Mi gente! What's up? I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me on Twitter at AsleepAtTheWheel, W-E-I-L, and at AsleepAtTheWheel.com. And from now until November 8th, 2022, as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at JoshWheel.org. So we are here today to talk about what I feel like might be the most misunderstood Marvel event in some time. Now, I have a lot of positive things to say about the 10 lives of Wolverine, and I'm really excited to be part of this team to discuss it. As the guy who, like, staffs the rooms, I get to pick who talks about what, and I really wanted this team on this title because you guys have had such transformational opinions on Wolverine for the last year. And this issue picked up in a little bit of a confusing place for me. Of course, 10 Lives of Wolverine number one, written by Ben Percy, with art by Joshua Kassara, cover by Adam Kubert, with letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Now, how many people here were really confused when they started reading this? Because I was really lost right away. Ooh, ooh, me. I was, I was. <laughs> Teacher here. The good news is that we've been following along. I mean, God help anybody who is just like, oh, seeing a lot of X-Men stuff on my on my timeline. Let me jump into a story. Because if this is your jumping on point, you're fucked. But we've been following so, you know, so so studiously that at least we have some bearing. Like, why is Omega Red in the mix with Russia? Why is Mikhail on page? But even with that, yeah, confusing as all hell and i'm not stressing about it i'm just vibing so far i'm enjoying the art i'm enjoying the the the, the cadence but i'm i'm 
terribly confused. Well, before we get Josh and Drew's response, I want to give Drew a little bit of credit for something. Drew, you were the first person to point out to our team that Ten Lives of Wolverine was available on Marvel Unlimited. That led me to taking a look at the Marvel Unlimited version, just because I'm a, a big believer that no one gives anything away for free. And while I pay for Unlimited, I wondered if there would be a difference. Black and white pages, some unlettered pages. And it led me to find that there is a fucking prequel comic that came out the same day on Marvel Infinity by Jim Zub and Ramon Box with colors by Hava Tartaglia and letters by BC's Joe Sabino, where they explain that Jean Grey and Charles Xavier are working together to chronally dislocate Logan through Xavier's timeline to stop Omega Red from killing Xavier as a baby. And I'm still not clear on how the hell that works. Like, it was giving so, I me mean, a little bit of uh, Days of Future Past yes. kind of vibe. It's Quantum Leap, okay? let's. This is Quantum <laughs> Leap, all right? Xavier is uh, Dean Rockwell, and Logan is Captain Archer. I would much rather uh, Stargate, because Logan as Richard Dean Anderson playing Jack would just be really my thing. Yeah, but that involves, like, time travel through, like, physical space. This is more a mental travel. So I think this is yeah, he's waking up in a different body every time. Like I want each one to end with him waking up and like, why am I on stage in a in a ballet costume? Like, oh, my God, I'm a ballet dancer this time. Like that's but but his physical body being anchored in a location is like I've never seen that other than Days of Future Past. Yeah, no, it does appear with the way the bone claws and the way the body looks that he's going into his body from and what we saw with the is it weapons plus T? that he's on with Maverick and Sabretooth at the end. It can be called whatever it wants because it's the like yellow the happy team. place in my heart. With so the yellow like, team. Yeah, what, um, what's the color of Betrayal? X-Men that color. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a thing. It, it definitely made, it elicited Quantum Leap vibes to me. Yeah, when I found out about that whole Jim Zub thing, which I did not go back and read, but it felt very much like Marvel saying, oh, shit, no one understands what any of this is. And so we need to really, really quickly scrap something together and make it available for digital release. Like, so people know what the hell's going on and why they should buy this book. Um, I, I'll give them more credit than that, you know? Like, I, I think, it think it was it's... a poorly displaced amount of plot, unfortunately. I think this was always the plan, both of it. Just it's not broken out in a clear way yet. Like, I don't remember seeing a single ad promo release thing anywhere just showing me, hey, here's all the stuff coming in Destiny of X. Here's where it is. Make sure you order from your LCS. Like, I'm still going on to Pullbox this morning realizing like, oh, shit, I totally forgot. I saw an, an excellence ad for Peter Milligan while I was reading X Lives. And I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot to be on sub for that one because I have the other nine random things and three minis and two one shots. And like, I'm just trying to piecemeal it together and make sure I got it everything but it's it's been tough to remember everything that's coming out and what i'm supposed to be getting and pre-ordering and reading from the x office it sounds arturo like you've got a little bit more defense in your heart for what's going on here for old you know knucklehead so tell me how do you feel that this whole thing is coming together so far i recently listened to a really good interview with ben percy and i feel like that kind of helped put me at ease or or i am kind of like starting off this whole crossover over in like a very zen space or not crossover 
or whatever, just this this special X event. event. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just feel zen about it. I feel reassured that plot points that we have seen and touched on, even ones that I haven't been a big fan of, like the vampire Dracula shenanigans, all have a purpose. And and you know, Percy is spinning a couple of different plates at the same time and and then he'll pull one, you know, and bring it to the forefront. So I I'm excited. Am I expecting this to be like the next, you know, Hox Pox or or even X of Swords? Not quite. This feels like smaller potatoes and I'm just vibing with it. I'm enjoying it. I like Omega Red as a character. I think he's uh, you know, pretty goddamn two-dimensional and flat. So any work to like building him out, giving him some depth, I'm here for that. I think we're gonna have some of our chickens come home to roost with this story. I don't think it's going to fundamentally alter, you know, the course of mutant dump, but it might, you know, I think this leads directly into Destiny of X. It's got to lead somewhere. Well, I'd like to be clear. My frustration with like Marvel marketing and, and shipping and promotional management does not belie frustration with this book. I think like most of us, I had no idea what was going on when I first opened it. If I was not a all in X office reader, like I'm reading everything that comes out of the X office, I probably wouldn't have gotten it because they didn't really do a good job of, of letting me know why I wanted this ahead of time. But by the time we got the, the Mikhail reveal, it became clear to me that, okay, this is this is the continuation of X-Force. Like, this is the stories that never got resolved and we were wondering, like, wait, why did these big storylines just drop and we got Wolverine surfing for two issues at the end? Like, this is where those are coming. And conceptually, like, I... I like this as the idea of having a high stakes, but not to radically shift the status quo like Hoxpox was, but to kind of preserve it. This weekly like 10 to 12 part series as we're kind of transitioning eras. You know, if every couple of years we did something like this, a la Hoxpox with a different writer, I, I like I dig that as a way to kind of go in between reset, give creative teams time to kind of like get around and get on their get their new books and things together like I like that conceptually from like an organizing the publishing line I just think that yeah like I had no idea what this was coming into it and now I know that it's proof that Ben Percy listens to our podcast and that a couple months ago when we were saying that there has never been like an actual like relevant or consequential Omega Red story that he heard that and went challenge accepted well I would love to think that Ben Percy makes his major publishing decisions based on my editorial whims, because then I have some whims that need whimming. But it also brings to mind a number of, like, that was such a great deconstruction of the reflective nature of what Ten Lives of Wolverine has been. Ben Percy's time on the X-Books has been marked by a sort of dissociation from the title it's bound by. There's never really any sense of what makes a Wolverine book a Wolverine book and an X-Force book an X-Force book, except for the amount Colossus broods in the background. And one of the things that I think we have discussed that has been an unfortunate reality of so many of these Wolverine comics has been the nature of Wolverine's relationship with women. Now, I'm going to say that one of the reasons that I think 
the Life of Wolverine Infinite comic was very intentional is because it's once again another writer coming in and reminding us that Wolverine actually does love Jean Grey. And it's been such a weird thing where the book was about Domino, then Domino was removed. There have been a number of women written in to be sort of accent pieces to Wolverine's suffering, and then they're removed. Evelyn, you are a longstanding member of the comic reading community. You've worked in comic shops. You're a huge element of at conventions, and it's you know a huge part of who you are. The treatment of women throughout Wolverine and X-Force this run, while not necessarily egregious, has oftentimes removed agency, and I don't actually think there were any two women in this comic that had a conversation. How does that shape the narrative for you as a reader? That's a really great question. When I read Wolverine comics, I don't exactly expect great women representation. Good expectations, good expectations. Yeah, my expectations are typically a little bit low in that category because, yeah, the only like conversation between women was keep pushing now because that's the woman's role is to give birth. And even though I really appreciated the fact that like the husband like took charge and was definitely like willing to help and that like Xavier's mom totally just picked up her baby in a gun. That was very powerful for me. I was like, I, I was cheering in my head at that moment because that was just something really cool because I feel like even though Wolverine doesn't have a lot of women representation, when there is women representation, it's usually very badass. So it, it's kind of a back and forth for me, I would say. Now, I would love to know how, you know, we are a primarily queer team. And while that certainly doesn't entitle us to be part of the discussion of women, it, and, you know, it definitely means that we oftentimes come to this with a sort of alternate to the alpha male perspective. And that's something that's very provided by this book, a sort of sense of heaving masculinity through the ages, I guess. <laughs> and I would love to know how you guys feel about the sort of nature of the role of masculinity in Wolverine, especially as it's can as it's sort of captured here. There's sort of a sense of the softness has to wait. Only the precision animal can exist. And that really lends itself to ideals and masculinity that are seeing a transitionary period. And I'd love to get your guys' take. I mean, yeah, masculinity has always been something associated with Wolverine. And that's something that admittedly kind of annoys me is how people alpha male Wolverine when Logan, one, alpha males don't exist. Um, as a biologist, I can confirm. And two, like Wolverine is such a soft boy. Like in this comic, we see him having this wholesome moment, it, like recognizing his relationship with Charles and having that fatherly kind of bond. And then with Jean saying, no one's ever loved me better, which my whole heart. And seeing the more softer side where he's like, I want to be hard, but then she comes around and I just get soft. And it's like, mm, I think you still get hard, but in a different way. And it's just really powerful and wholesome to see that kind of dynamic in something that is hyper masculine. We say how wild it is that we got a masculine yet kind of compassionate and respectful Wolverine in Dokken before we did in Logan during the Krakoan era, which is really just because of who wrote them, but like didn't see that coming. 
I don't know. I think you guys are giving a lot of grief to Logan. I think he's not been entirely toxic lately. I I don't. Well, no, no, it's a toxic masculinity, yeah. but a form of a masculinity that is transforming. This idea of what Logan is representing, this idea of I must be the soldier, until very recently was only presented in sort of alpha toxic lights. But this idea, we're trying to reclaim that ideal in Logan in this transformational era. I do think this is the best we've seen this archetype, maybe from Marvel. Ever. He's not being written to toxic, but he is still being written to appeal to people that only subscribe to Wolverine, Punisher, and Venom. Yeah. Well, like, well, you don't have to look any further than Wolverine going surfing to see, like, yes. I mean, there's there's an element of Percy's Wolverine that is macho to the point of farcical, but I still kind of buy it. I'm buying what he's selling. Is, and I don't is, think it's cringe is, either. I definitely don't think it's cringe. Because that's like what I was saying was that I do not think that Wolverine is toxic masculinity. And I don't think that he's been portrayed as such recently. It's more the fandom where I think people who do subscribe to toxic masculinity, they put it on to Wolverine. And so that's where I get like annoyed is when the fans interpret it that way. And some fanboys you just can't argue with. And it's those people that ruin it for me, not Wolverine itself, where they they project their own toxic masculinity onto the character when he is not written that way. Drew, I feel like, you know, a guy who came in predominantly because, you know, the Hoxpox era lured you in and, you know, we're lucky enough that there's been enough outside of that to keep you here. How do you feel about the sort of transformational role of Wolverine? If you came in for Hoxpox, you came in because Wolverine was running a daycare in a sunny meadow. My favorite thing ever. But, you know, we're sort of back to, I gotta go through time and kill people. It's just so ridiculous. I love it so much. How do you feel as somebody who came in for the promise of a new era, seeing sort of an old school Logan play old school roles? Yeah, I haven't read too much Wolverine before um, getting into Hoxpox. Pox. Like I read a, a little bit of the Wolverine and the X Men, and that like not much of his solo stuff. I find that like like what we're like we're referring to in the '90s, he did have that like toxic masculinity portrayal. Like, but I, like every single comic did at that point. Like Evelyn was saying, I think it is like also the quote unquote fandom that puts that toxic masculinity on him, because like I even I'm going back and reading the older Wolverine stuff, and that like. Low, like the the more lone wolf kind of solo inner turmoil kind of stuff is still there like it's still there throughout the, the entire like you, you can still read it interpret it that way it's not like that toxic masculinity that we're talking about it's just kind of he is that person who has that anger inside of him and he just gets put into these situations where he has to use and you know be like that bad guy yeah one thing i'll say about percy is that he didn't and now it's clear like i think with Hoxpox there was and i think josh you're the one that that phrased it this way that kind of stuck with me logan now being you know a a warrior struggling with living at peace and and that's definitely not the direction it went percy did not say okay i'm going to give you guys an all new all different wolverine he's really distilling wolverine to like his essential you know loganness and giving it more texture and depth but it's it's wolverine it's the the same chewed up piece of leather that you remember from the 90s only with you know with more motivations and more heart but still wolverine and honestly that's like that i think that's a way better wolverine than like the slasher like 
bad oh, sure. Wolverine. Yeah. I don't Wolverine. think that there's any question that Percy doesn't have a good handle on this character. I mean, if you've listened to the Wolverine audio stories that he wrote um, before he took over this title, Such you know that yeah. he has a really strong grasp. And it is hyper-masculine without being toxic is, I would say, a good way to kind of describe his Logan. Just because you understand the character or have ideas for the types of stories you want to tell doesn't always necessarily mean the execution is there story wise on this like it's the opening chapter like i'd be willing to meet you know maybe give it around a b and say that like it it you know it got me to kind of understand most of what's going on by the end but uh the heavy lifting here was done by josh Kassara, who josh just Kassara, again yeah. continues to amaze and and i think somewhere around issue 16 of x-force i know that we had a, an, an episode where we were saying that x-force stopped being like the ben percy book written by uh drawn by josh Kassara and became the josh Kassara book written by ben percy um which is kind of how you know my highlights of of this the things that i'm gonna think back and remember are some of these beautiful full page and double page splashes that Kasara gave us here. The, the things that will haunt my dreams are the very like bone-like tentacles in these different Omega Reds that are happening in the past or whatever. Like just a very creepy twist on, on Omega Reds classic design that just gave me the willies. And speaking of splash pages, that we need a word for, for these, these pages. These like homage pages where it's like shadow and you see all these different images because once we plug Logan into the Cerebro in the cradle uh, at the point his mind like explodes and you see all these little glimpses you see Weapon X, you see Wolverine versus the Hulk, you see uh, it almost looks like again a tribute to Days of Future Past you see Logan pushing Charles on his chair and the X is in the wheel just like in the movie. It's just a beautiful spread. Kasara like at his finest. And I think one of the things that really highlights such a beautiful thing about what you're both saying is that this is meant to be reflective of who Logan is throughout time, not just here, but also in the pages of Life of Wolverine. We see multiple iterations of the character shown through art. And, you know, we're really trying to get a holistic idea of this character as we head into this event. And I think the last thing I fucking needed was it was Wolverine rushing to save Xavier. Like, I'm glad it's not a, a female love interest is the damsel in distress, but I really don't get what's happening here exactly well and yeah let's talk about that let's talk about the science of all this because i'm fucking lost like the fact that we don't have some kind of either a reality warper or a time we do we have mikhail rasputin that was the hand wave we get okay. all wibbly wobbly timey wimey reality warping because and i guess Mikhail's they here. can do chronal skimming through if rachel has chrono skimming i guess it's a latent gene that gene has so gene can help chrono no skim logan uh, because okay. rachel well, can I, i'm gonna have to warm up a little bit before we reach that far and hard you guys like i'm waiting <laughs> for some kind of explanation yes i know mikhail is a reality warper but the chuck gene and logan let's come together and do this I, I'm just kind of like, how, what? I will wait and see it explained. But right now, just like I can accept all sorts of hokey science, you know, and sci-fi premises, but I'm just kind of thrown by. So are we going through his thoughts and, and that's it? Or is this actually stuff that can affect the timeline? Gene's there going through Logan's like uh, the first time he murdered somebody, the first time his power manifested and he stabbed, I think his father, no? Yeah, he stabs dog. At the end of that 
little chronal skimming, we see Logan jump to the the yellow team with Omega Red and, and Creed. And you see Gene, like an apparition of Gene saying, you know, you got to go in this direction. You have to save Charles. So now it's kind of like, okay, so we're jumping through time through Logan's head. And the recurring pattern is going to be he's always trying to save Charles. Is that what's going on? But I'm not interested in saving Charles 10 times. Like, I'm not. And if what you're going to tell me is perhaps Mikhail is going to go after everyone on the Quiet Council and that Mikhail is going to go through time and try and kill the Quiet Council at 10 different points. He wouldn't try to kill um, his own brother, Colossus. So that's one you can save. I don't know who the other person would be. So if like next is Eric. I'm in. But like, if he's just got to save Chuck 10 times, I don't know that I care that much. I just don't. Same. Like, it's... I would... It's always worth it. You just said it and I love it. I would so much more rather see like us going back and back and getting these like baby little kids, Sebastian Shaw, Emma Frost moments than 10 shitty Xavier scenes. I would rather see Gene and Xavier sing extremes more than words to Logan like the music video for 10 issues than is save <laughs> Xavier 10 times. The person whose well-being I care about the least on the Quiet Council. Yeah, that's like a problem for me. And like the thing is, this was such exquisite Wolverine. And I'm going to say it, I've never been such a fan of the Omega Red sort of mythos before. Now that it's some sort of psychic magic poison, I'm really into it. And it, it seems... A really good use of Mikhail because we always wanted more from Mikhail. It went from Mikhail as a centerpiece who we all thought was going to play a role in Ten of Swords and then didn't. And then we thought would play a role in Inferno when Colossus got put on the Quiet Council and then nothing fucking happened. It just felt like a lot of dick teasing and (laughs) some dick warming. (laughs) I know. And like, I'm, you know, I'm being silly, but like at the end of the day, I do feel like we've had a lot of ramping up. How did you guys feel about the return of Mikhail? To me, that's the only thing that really justified or made this story makes sense or and in some ways even justified the fact that like okay so this all got ramped up and we felt like we were really coming to a head in the pre-inferno but then there were the weird trial of magneto and inferno shipping times and all of this and okay but whatever but we're gonna finish the mikhail story here or we're actually running through and it also just got revealed i want to say within the last week within the last couple days of when we're recording that x-force is not getting a new number one it's going to continue in its previous numbering post 10 lives 10 deaths i love that so so yeah this is really like the continuation of that without mikhail that one panel with mikhail in here to me it's the only thing that kind of cohesively ties it together between the lack of of explanation of what the hell's going on and what type of story I'm reading and the lack of closure we got from X-Force like that was that page is the one page that I needed to maintain my investment in this story well and just a footnote like I mean Mikhail Mikhail and him getting the Cerebro sword and that being like a plot point happened so long ago that I remember people theorizing that that was going to be one of the swords in Ten of Swords the Cerebro sword and Mikhail was going to show up and be relevant to that. So Back when we thought that the swords would matter. <laughs> right, back when we thought the swords would matter. So like, you know, safe to say that Percy's playing a long game. He He's putting stuff out there. He's bringing it back. Uh, there are things that we may have felt 
have been lost or forgotten, but I, I feel more reassured that they're not. Forgotten. Are we going to call this a long game? Like, if you tell me that, like, the master plan has always been to tease Mikhail with a Cerebro Sword before Ten of Swords to set up a Quantum Leap story with Omega Red two years later, like... I'm going to have a hard time swallowing that. I'm not saying that's always been exactly the plan. I think he's, you know, bobbing and weaving and working with what he's got and adjusting accordingly. But I mean, that's, you know, that's, it's the way he's writing this long story. I I don't think it's all intentional, but it's, it is all, he is very aware of like the pieces that he's put into play. And although sometimes it's frustrating for us and too slow and I don't want to see Wolverine fucking surfing, he is doing something. So uh, he's time surfing. The other thing too is that it this does connect with the ex deaths of Wolverine too, a la like Hawks Pox and kind of did. So I know like some of us are like don't like the previews and stuff, but if you've seen the previews for the ex deaths of Wolverine, it, uh, like that's kind of where I'm peaked, and I think I'm more in going to be into the ex deaths of Wolverine than I am the lives. Wait, who's see? I don't even so, yeah. fuck with solicits. Who's doing ex deaths of Wolverine? I thought this was. I literally thought this title was ex lives and ex deaths of Wolverine. No, so this is ex lives, and I thought ex deaths was Percy and Cubert. But is that going to be, is that just separate because it's different artists or are we going to have two different stories that dovetail? Like, are we going to be starting a whole different story in X deaths that dovetails with this later on? Because at the end of this issue, it feels like we're just on part one of 10 of Gotta Save Xavier. Okay, Gotta Save Xavier is the new best storyline. That is, Josh, that is the most beautiful alliteration I've ever heard come out of your mouth. (laughs) Okay, number one. Number two, I do feel like we are in a really great position to talk about something really important. With such a complicated amount of history on a character like Logan, James Howlett, Wolverine, Weapon X, whatever you want to fucking call him, Headmaster, Apocalypse's Death, whatever he is to you, right? When you're talking about Wolverine, you're talking about a guy who has so much past, it's really hard to sort it out to kind of figure out a future. Now, regardless of what we know of X-Deaths or not, one of the things that we can be sure that is definitely happening with Wolverine is thanks to the amount of preview material that is available, we know that he's going to make it through this physically predominantly unchanged. So what is it from this sort of perhaps uninspiring introduction that still played out like an enjoyable comic what for you guys is the draw of this event at this point i'm just hoping for sort of a little bit more of a a reconciled logan where he feels like the same character from book to book and maybe an event with 10 plus issues developing that narrative cleanly and clearly will allow other writers to be able to lean on percy's interpretation as a cornerstone how about you guys so i I've said this during our Inferno coverage. My my only real draw of this going in was the possibility that coming on the heels of Inferno, we were dealing with the 10 different Wolverines from Moira's 10 timelines. Um, I don't know, as I said earlier this episode, I don't know that this is something that I would have purchased or been interested in had, was I not fully invested in purchasing everything that comes out of the X office. I don't expect much change. I mean, I I think that this is a fight to maintain the status quo at the end of the day. I don't expect any big changes to come out of this. If if there's one thing that I look forward to enjoying that I think I can count on, it's it's four more issues of beautiful Josh Kassara art. I would say I picked 
this up because I was curious what they were going to do with it while also being very hesitant because I did not like the red, white, and blood stuff. But I'm willing to read the next one just to see how it continues. And I think based off of what we get out of the second one is if I'm going to continue it or not. I'm all in. I want to see uh, I want to see more Omega Red. I want to see some resolution to... Oh, shout out to Beast for not even appearing on panel and still being the most horrible thing that happened in this comic book. And that's given the fact that Omega Red was trying to assassinate a pregnant lady while she was giving birth. That was an awesome data page. And Beast is a total... Beast is a, is a complete shit, and I absolutely live for the subplot that's running through different titles where the five are revealing themselves to be kind of like the moral compass of Krakoa, and they're dealing with some fucked up and morally gray, if not just outright amoral uh, decisions coming from either the Quiet Council or more specifically in this case, Beast, the uh, director of intelligence over at X-Force, where the five point out like... Like, yo, we don't have to do this to Arkady. We can we can fix his genes. We can he will, doesn't even need a carbonadium synthesizer. Like, and Beast is like, nope. Here, he, you you guys are line order cooks. Here's the order: cook the damn food. Like, Xavier got born this issue, and Beast was still the worst thing. <laughs> you know who didn't get born? Cassandra Nova. Yo, and, all I could think. Like, all that, I could think. That was yeah. such a. That was that could have been a bigger reveal. Um, it's so that could have been how that, she came into Marauders. It, but it's so funny to me that in seeing that panel and like realizing like the the first baby was her, like how I just immediately my mind went to Morrison Run. I guess that art was by was that quietly, quietly. Mm-hmm. of baby Xavier and Cassandra fighting in the womb. Like I just love that that just came into my mind so clearly. So does Cassandra, actually. I had to stop and think about that because it was like, wait, is this how? Like, yes. Like, I had to stop and think about it. But yeah, that was a fun little thing. And and yeah, you know, in a comic that had a dead baby, Beast was the worst. Now, Drew, what are your hopes? I know you know a little bit more than the rest of us do by virtue of having read the 10 Deaths preview. And nothing wrong with that. Everybody gets to fandom at their own speed. So without revealing too much, because we do try to keep this advanced spoiler free and i know you did a great job earlier what are you hoping for from the continuing run of this parallel mini series set yeah so if i was not all in on on like on this run or this event or like this pikmin era i would not be picking this up um just by based on like the cover and kind of what i'm hearing about it it just doesn't sound like it would have been for me based on what's coming i'm kind of interested to see how it all comes together Um, i'm curious basically now we never got a transition period from like wolverine and x-force to this event and honest like i kind of think that something like what they were doing with the, the infinite comics to, as like an epilogue in one or both of those stories as like a transition kind of like a preview would have been kind of like a better way to do it to explain what was going to happen in this series i kind of yeah i mean they just announced that in the style of war of realms omega they're doing a devil's reign omega anybody who is 
is on the Devil's Rain train as hard as I am, do not look at the fucking solicit for that book. It will just tell you the ending of the goddamn event. So don't look at that solicit, I guess. But, you know, something like a Wolverine Omega would have been a really great way to, I mean, Wolverine and X-Force Omega. If you're giving Percy this many books, if sometimes Percy has as many as four books a month, I think the guy warrants an Omega issue that, like, you know, Drew said, it could have even been an unlimited thing and 20 pages and just gotten us to this point. But another thing, too, that bugs me about kind of doing this is you're now limiting your readers to what's happening, right? Because only people on un- who have unlimited know, like, and this would have been like a nice kind of thing to have for, you know, to understand yeah, what but, was happening. But I, I'll just want to say, like, I think Unlimited is fucking awesome. I love what they're doing with the Infinity Comics. The I price think, point really isn't bad. I yeah. mean, it's just like, it's such a good, like, supplemental stuff. I think, like, seeing Slice of Life on Krakoa stuff would be perfect for Infinity Comics. Like, I, I'm so for that. And yeah, I mean, it sucks for the people that don't have the subscription, but that's kind of the whole point is like they're trying to entice you to get it so i think it's i think it's great i like the infinity comics i mean so i mean much. for me i have been i have been waiting for the x-men infinity and the x-men green stuff um to come in in print which i know they will because they are now uh, x-men latitude you can pick yep, it up spending so much time now that i work from home and work virtually and you know between the campaign between my job spending so much time on screen so many hours a day with multiple screens in front of me when i sit down to read i do not want to be reading off of a screen again. I, I have a whole collection of digital comics. I, I have nothing against digital comics. I think they're going to serve a really important place in the industry moving forward. But like I, I, right now, like I'm trying to read as few digital comics as possible. That's just a me where I'm at thing. And so, you know, I don't, would I have spent an extra $4 on it if it came out two weeks ago and was in my pull box at the LCS? Yeah. Yeah. I think I would have rather probably had that opportunity than this. Right. Totally disagree with that. Like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I just think that there's a place for it. If anything, I get frustrated buying digital copies of something if I know I'm going to get the physical. So I, I love that there's this other category of just stuff I don't even have to worry about the physical. I can just log in and enjoy the story. And I think like Jeff the Landshark is like the best example of that. Like, and the fact that there is no, they're not doing a lot of math. Like, oh, how are we going to pack enough story to justify this $4.99 cover price? or whatever i think just gives the creative teams more freedom to just like tell a story and it doesn't have to be you know so concerned with with moving product uh one final thought i want to just give a shout out to sharon xavier for starring in the hardest panel of the entire damn week and that is her standing with a shotgun and her bloody freshborn baby chuck in her hands umbilical cord still attached pointing that shotgun at the omega red avatar Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now, Devil's Reign has been such an exciting time for me as a Daredevil fanatic. It's why we're launching Billy Club. It seems like just the right time for me and Tori to unleash our coverage of Daredevil, starting with number one back in April of 1964. Now, in conjunction with that, here on X's for Podcast, we're going to be adding Daredevil to that slate of Marvel fanfare titles that we cover on Fridays, going back and picking up all of the issues of the Zdarsky run, and then moving on over into Devil's Reign. But in order to make sure that we were really giving 
giving you guys the kind of comprehensive coverage that you're used to, we wanted to make sure that there was an X-Men-based team as opposed to a Daredevil team covering this title as it was coming out up front. So here for you guys now is our first foray into the incredible event Devil's Reign, our coverage of Devil's Reign X-Men number one. Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting segment of Extra for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at DazzlerAOA at Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Steven, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen of Wonder, and on Facebook as an admin for the North, uh, House of North Star group. Hey everyone, this is Dante, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Inferno Magic. that's magic with a K. Hi everyone, it's Wancho, you can find me on Twitter at Lost in Krakoa, and so happy to talk about Devil's Reign X. Right? So we've got we've got John Walker trying to kick the X-Men out of their treehouse. We've got Wilson Fisk in a towel looking surprisingly sexy. We've got Electra going around just fucking killing everybody. And we've got Emma Frost being fabulous. So that does mean we're talking about Devil's Reign X-Men number one. So this issue is brought to us by the amazing team of Dugan and Noto on story and art. And we've got BC's Corey Pettit as our letterer and Tom Muller still on the overall design. And that computer beautiful beautiful cover that main cover by phil noto and a beautiful variant cover by scott williams sebastian chang so let's just start like where is everybody with devil's reign like who's reading it who's just picked up this issue because it's x-men related like tell me about it I definitely picked up this issue because it was X-Men related, <laughs> that's for sure, but mostly because Emma Frost is in it, and she is my main girl. Guilt, guilty as charged. So I have actually been reading the whole Steve Sadarsky's Daredevil run, which after about 30-35 issues ended and then became Devil's Reign. So this is essentially a Daredevil story featuring the X-Men, but yeah, that run's pretty good and I can't recommend it enough if you're a fan of the Horned Devil himself. So yeah, so I've been reading everything do know that we've had little threads of the relationship between Emma and the Kingpin from Marauders, so it's really exciting to see more of that develop. Absolutely, yeah, this is a sort of a complex story, like Devil's Reign does spring out of Daredevil. Basically, if you're not reading Devil's Reign, Wilson Fisk gets mad that Daredevil made it so he can't remember his secret identity, and banned all superheroes from New York. So that's, that's the main gist of it. I know there's a lot more of it going on. Like, I had to have Nico explain to me the children of Kilgrave, because fuck yeah, I was like, Kilgrave? Is that kind of Kara in it? No, it's just six creepy children that are like the Kilgrave cuckoos. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, I would just say like, because I'm picking up a lot of the uh, tie-in at all. Like the one that features the Thunderbolt, kind of cool. Like I hate fucking US agent. Oh, so much. Like even back from the West Coast Avengers day, even though like he was starting to get a part, like a human heart, but now he just seems like he's asshole again. But I would also suggest uh, the Superior Four by Zach Thompson. That's fucking amazing. Like go out there buy it it doc ock collecting three other versions of himself so there's four of them and they're going through it, the multiverse and gonna become the ultimate doc ock as we get into this issue itself we start off with wilson fisk looking surprisingly hot covered in blood in a bathhouse what were y'all thinking when you saw that i certainly did not expect we're going to see a naked wilson fisk to begin <laughs> this story especially uh, not him covered in blood right <laughs> 
Absolutely. It did make me really curious as to what's been going on in the rest of the series. So I actually may be picking uh, the rest of it up. And I have been really interested in Chip Zdarsky's uh, Daredevil run as well. So that was also a draw. It's important to mention that we're beginning in a flashback and not like present time. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good point. You're right. Because I he's Electra and not Daredevil. Emma Frost and Kingpin do have a long-standing history now that's been put into the place because of Marauders. And, you know, I'm sure they had dealings outside of that. But Marauders really established that Emma went to Fisk for help in hiding Lord of Chantel from Sebastian Shaw. And to do that, took on little odd jobs to help Fisk out during um, whenever he needed it without question. This is starting off like this. This is, you know, going to put them at odds. This this whole issue with the X-Men trying to kick them out of Seneca Park. What are you guys excited to see about the relationship between these two really Titan powerhouses? I mean, I think the obvious thing we all want is for Emma to come out on top, right? I mean, I think we're all rooting for Emma in this scenario. The start of this issue with Wilson, with Elektra, and with Emma, like these three little scenes right off the bat show that each of them are dangerous, powerful individuals. I mean, he, just like you said, Wilson is sitting there covered in blood. He has demolished these other, you know, men in the sauna. There are these giant holes probably where he punched the wall. You don't want to mess with this dude. I mean, he is not just, he's just not a mastermind. He is a, a the kind of guy who can really fuck you up. And obviously, Electra, I mean, you do not want to mess with an assassin like her. And Emma, we all know. Emma, you know, she's, she gets to be a little bit more subtle with how she manipulates things. We've seen her get her hands dirty, but she doesn't need to. She's got more tools under her belt. We can see Emma and Electra, like, as two sides of this femme fatale coin, where Electra is like the deadly, silent assassin, like a knife in the dark, whereas Emma's way more public and using, like, sex appeal and her looks, like, to get get in the way but also she's like super brilliant and can use her mind powers to like make you do whatever you want and so fisk was also like dante said extremely powerful without you know having superpowers he can i really want to see how he employs these two tools for lack of a better word to like to further his goals and eventually how they backfire on him uh, like currently i definitely look forward to seeing emma and more of her in my opinion her greatest power her ability to mastermind her way out of any situation. I look forward to her coming to blows with Electra, and and I'm hoping that we see them come to some kind of understanding between the two of them and then maybe come together and bring Fisk down. And what do you guys think when we're seeing this little girl who sees Electra through the window? She's driving a horse, right? And then <laughs> at the end, we see Fisk showing a picture of what I believe is the same same girl. Yeah, like I immediately went for the Firestar connection. So I was the, when I saw that, I was like, of course they went from Emma Frost to this little girl drawing butter room. <laughs> I had the same thought. The exact <laughs> same thought. I kind of love how shady it is. It's like Wilson Fisk is going to frame Emma for killing this little girl who loved butter room. I mean, she was, you know, the mastermind <laughs> that ended butter room. So any other connection beyond that, like, it, it just, it's going to keep uh, continuing to ripple out, it seems. Yeah. I love how we all know the name of a fictional horse from the four-issue Firestar miniseries. Like, I may not always love everything he does, but Dugan really loves the character of Emma Frost, and, like, he's got a really solid handle on her voice, and that's one of the things that really shone through in Marauders. I think that this story plays a lot to his Jerry's strength, yes. and also Phil Noto, who's, like, always... Is amazing, right? Yes. I love Noto's style. I am so 
happy that he's on these books because he he draws me in actually he fully draws me into the books i his art is so gorgeous every panel i feel is very careful every look in these characters eyes electro when she sees the girl looking out the window and seeing her the squinting in the in the small panel it's just so beautifully done it is like i have to say like some of my favorite just like panels from this for film from phil noto's art like just like okay the one little section where rogue's sitting there watching tv i'm like oh my god she's so fucking cute like uh." i was just looking at that just now yeah this issue is a lot more lighthearted than recent x-men issues yeah like a lot more lighthearted so this kind of reminded me of the cable run they did last year where it's funny it's serious but it's also kind of funny and it plays really well to to them as a team it does May I ask, which Taskmaster? Is this actual Tony Masters? I wanted to talk about about Taskmaster for a bit, because if it's the same Taskmaster as always, I know he has, like, memory issues, but why doesn't he remember that Laura kicked his ass in Old Wolverine? I thought I remembered something about that, too, so that's why I was curious. And I am obsessed with with tony masters so i which is a really weird obsession to have but i i just love him so much and i i found that really bizarre like my nitpick of this issue that i didn't like so i'm, I'm gonna do the classic thing and blame it on editorial but yeah they're a good point I do love the little exchange between Rhino and Rogue, like, I, like because Rhino obviously showed up in, uh, in Remy's poker game in issue one, right? So, like, right. he's like, what are you doing, Rhino? Remy's going to be so disappointed. I'm more nervous than a ro- long-tailed cat in a room filled with rocket tails. Yes, you oh, said it! <laughs> <laughs> I I actually really liked him the most, I think, in in the entire scene with them, because he was the only one who's like, this is not personal, just business, and you know what? He's still going to show up, and he's still going to be welcomed at those poker games. You know, I really like, like the panel that's just after with Lorna. Like, you think I'm afraid of the hole, and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, right? <laughs> oh, you know what? Okay, so I think that was very on brand, but like, the thing with Jean pulling her back almost made me feel like like she was neutered <laughs> and i was like oh i wanted more for her I, like i just feel like i'm not getting the, sh- the power showings that we were supposed to be getting i did not remember that that taskmaster fought laura but i did like that little interaction between them but it throws continuity into some sort of a tailspin right i'm not super familiar but I do read on Twitter and people have been saying, well, Taskmaster does lose personal memories when he memorizes new moves. So it is possible that you could kind of no prizes. You can hand wave it, right? Yeah. Nice. Okay. I think that this whole issue is just a total testament to his... Uh, planning ability his story planning because he seeded this it could have been even further back but he seeded this since marauders 22 with uh the lordish chantal uh storyline and i think that this like this is a really nice uh way to bring everything back the the culmination to like this whole devil's reign is a nice culmination to that story yeah this feels like sort of how he would tie in both marauders and x-men somehow oh yeah because He's playing off both of his books in a really nice way. Oh my god. I'm looking at the panel with with Emma giving uh, John Walker the, the <laughs> paper. And I just want you all to know that is Sarah Michelle Gellar's nose. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, like, I don't even care if that's Sarah Michelle's nose. Like, any time that U.S. agent can be fucking stood up, like, I'm there for it. U.S. agent was basically fucked with the entire issue, first by Lorna and then by, by Emma. That was always fun to see. It was, it was. I do have a question. What do y'all think of the use of Emma Frost pulling in the United Nations into the issue with mutants in New York City? Like, what kind of implications do we think, and what secrets did she have to unleash, too, to get that to happen i think the implications are far bigger for x-men than however devil's reign x-men ends because i think that will play a big part in jerry's uh run later when orcus comes knocking down the tree so what happens then right i think jerry's setting up some big things for the treehouse for like the main title and emma's gonna be a big player in that i think yeah uh, I think that's a good point, Juancho. I want Krakoa to keep going, and I don't... I hate that the world hates them, but, I mean, obviously there's going to be some kind of... I don't even know the term, just altercation. I don't know. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but there's there's going to be some kind of issue between Krakoa and the rest of the world at this point, I think. I think we're getting closer to that. I mean, that has been like sort of through the whole Hickman era, right? That has True. been the whole like setup, right? Orcus like Absolutely. has pulled in members of like organizations that you wouldn't believe, that you wouldn't expect them to, like like James Hudson, like members of Alpha Flight, like, you know. Yeah, like after Inferno. Oh, James. Like, yeah, there's a lot of threats that Jerry could pick up, like to to really threaten the X Men and push them to the brink. But who knows? I do hope that Krakoa continues for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it, it oh, just what? feels like it feels like the new normal. It doesn't. It would feel so bizarre going back to to what we had in the past. It would. Yeah. It would. Like if if we end up at the end of the Krakoa era back in the school in Westchester, I will probably be a little pissed off because like I'll be majorly pissed yeah. off. That, that's like a complete regression. I think. Absolutely. Oh, agreed. Agreed. We do get some good moments between the Thunderbolts and the X Men team. What do we think this is setting up for the future? This resolution where Emma obviously comes in having who knows how gotten the United Nations to do the vote. But, like, how do we think this is going to set up this future of this miniseries? Like, do we think I the think, Thunderbolts are going to come back to play? Like, I think my theory or prediction maybe is that Fisk is going to end up trying to frame Emma for, for the death of this young girl. That we see at the at the beginning and at the end of the issue and that's gonna play like somehow it's gonna be resolved probably in emma's yes. favor but yeah i agree with you Anjo. i think he's gonna frame emma for it and then he's gonna have her be brought in because she killed a human uh supposedly and they're gonna want retribution and they know that that's one of the mutants biggest laws i think he's gonna sick the bad witch on her and I think that after a minor coming to blows, they're going to come to an understanding instead and work together, maybe with other people as well, to take down Fisk. That is that is my hope. I am still hoping for this, for that narrative. Emma's passes has not always been the most upstanding, right? I think Emma, well, she will be framed. She will have done something that will actually make her look guilty. Like, not necessarily murder, but she actually did something that was not right. And that's basically how Wilson Fisk always plays you. That's and I, I, fair. I don't think they're going to take Fisk down because, I mean, this is dying. And there's like six more issues of those Rain to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and then we have Chip writing his follow-up to his Daredevil run. So, yeah, I, I hope Emma's involved somehow, but I don't think she'll be that big a player going forward. I'm, in Daredevil, right. Right. I'm really excited that we're getting uh, Invisible Woman next issue. <laughs> I, 
I really want to see more. Yeah, Invisible Woman versus Emma Frost would be amazing. I am hoping to see more Emma on the bigger Marvel scale, just because um, she stepped down as the White Queen from the Hellfire trading. She's still going to be on the Council, I'm pretty sure, but she's not really, you know, she, she's shifting her focus. And I like to think that this is bringing her, you know, back into things with, with the main Marvel area. And, you know, kind of going back to, I think, you know, Steven mentioned it, and I think Poncho did too, about, you know, Jerry kind of seeding things early on and bringing those from Marauders and even, you know, like X-Men currently into this issue. I mean, like seeing Leland, you know, his appointment on the UN. How do we feel about the presentation of the X-Men team as the event team? You know, back when Astonishing X-Men was going on, Astonishing was the event team, right? They were the ones who always showed up whenever there was an event. Right, yeah. Now we have the Gary Dugan x-men team as the event team how do we feel about that i think it's the right play honestly i mean the whole point of the this new x-men team is to be mutant superheroes for the world and you can't be the representation of mutants if you're not out there putting yourself in harm's way being visible so we should be seeing this team of mutants everywhere. Like, I think this is exactly what should be happening right now with this X-Men. We don't, we should, I mean, I'd still love to see diversity. I love, there's so many characters I love. And of course, so I don't want to say I don't want to see, you know, uh, you know, mutants from all over showing up, but they are specifically here to represent Krakoa as a superhero. So yeah, I think it's great. Loved it. This and, oh gosh, what what's the other title that was just out the, the one shot with, uh, with the Black, Black Knight? Knight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Death of Doctor Strange. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) just seeing this team in both these books, like it makes sense. They should be out there everywhere we're looking because that's that's their purpose. I agree completely, and I actually like like a consistency of having the same people representing the X Men showing up everywhere, like on big events or in crossovers or like just cameos in other books unrelated to the X Men line. And I think it helps like to sell in universe and out of universe that like there's this X Men team that represents Krakoa, and you're gonna see them doing good things for everyone. And I I like that it's a consistent team, and I hope that going forward they continue doing it even with new members that they continue having a consistent lineup across events. Agree? Yeah, same. I think that this was an important aspect of the mutant books that we did not have, so it's nice to have it back. Mm-hmm. I do think the team is still pretty vanilla. It feels oh, no. almost like they're meant to be palatable for the rest of the world to look at, which is why we don't have any physical mutations on the team. But at the same time, you know, maybe it was just the first stepping stone and we'll get more of that later on. I think that's really good for these characters i'd love the idea of it i i question the team lineup just like you, you mentioned too when astonishing was that main team that showed up and like you had like emma kate cyclops and you know all the rest <laughs> wolverine um you know it was it was really cool to see and it really did give a nice continuity to the titles that i thought was you know like this was the important team you know if there's going to be an x-men crossover you're going to have these characters maybe you'll have an extra character if they need them but like it really it really added a nice continuity to the whole mix any final thoughts for x-men devil's reign i loved it and i can't wait to see what happens next same also is dazzler on the cover for the next book he is and i'm so fucking excited like i'm like yes okay that's why i was like i've got to be on devil's reign x-men nico (laughs) so i actually had a lot of fun with this issue i really liked it and as i said this more lighthearted comedy style while still serious is 
like where Jerry excels, like he's really, really good at it. And I had a lot of fun with it. I really hoping we get more of this in the next two issues and hopefully some of that in the X-Men book. Yeah, great job, Jerry. Great job, Phil. And I had a lot of fun talking about this issue with you guys. I enjoyed that too. Uh, I just like all y'all, I really enjoyed this issue. Um, really, it did a great job of cementing more of that uh, or entrenching Emma's past in the Marvel Universe with other characters outside of just the X-Men while furthering her story, while deepening, you know, the, the story with current comics. I'm excited for that. I And I want to see where it's going to go. I'm always hoping for twists and turns that I'm not expecting. You know, some of your predictions, I would say, yeah, that I think that's kind of the same thing I might have thought too. So. I'm hoping Jerry can like throw us some some really good curveballs that we're not expecting and get excited about. And I hope we get to do this again soon. This was a really fun issue. Like super excited to see where the story is going. And like a lot of y'all mentioned, like I do love Dogen and the more lighter, lighter hearted or not as heavy stories. I think that's where Dogen shines. And with the phenomenal Phil Noto art, and, and I can't believe I didn't talk about it, but like the lettering was really great in this issue too. Like, and it's always a good sign of lettering when you when you don't talk about it as much because it really did its job you know i'm really excited to see where this is gonna go because i have no idea at this point Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now, this last segment is X-Men Legends number 10, and this has definitely been a sort of your mileage may vary kind of situation, but here at X is for Podcast, for the most part, we've had very positive reactions to this series, and this issue, kind of more than most, it really exemplified what it is that's so exciting about giving an artist or a writer an opportunity to go back to an era that they maybe thought they'd never go back to, just because sort of the way comics move forward and dialing back into a zeitgeist can be so tricky, but here... Fabian Nicieza and Dan Jurgens recreated a moment that felt like it absolutely could have lifted straight out of 1990 in such an exciting way for me. It featured a number of very popular and current characters in forms that people may not remember or may remember fondly, and that's the experiment of something like X-Men Legends and why we continue to cover it here, even if its connection to canon is a little bit dubious. As always, we love making this show for you three times a week every week with Magic Mondays, X-Men X Wednesdays, and of course, next up is Marvel Fanfare Fridays. So until next time, enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember that Wolverine has 10 lives like a cat, and we'll see ya. Hey everybody, and welcome to another exciting segment of Exes for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel. Week after week, I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. This Dazzler, like an Age of Apocalypse. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you can find me trying to manage my clone selves over on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's going to be N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike all these clones that are getting Thanos snapped and turning to dust. 
And going to a fancy dinner and not knowing they're clones? I guess that means we're talking about X-Men Legends number 10. And this issue was written by Fabian Cieza. Dan Jurgens is our pencils. Scott Hanna is inker. Alex Sinclair is the color artist. And the covers were by a whole bunch of amazing people. So we're at a dinner party and we've got some of the biggest mutant and human ally minds. Where are we at with this, this whole setup? This felt in many ways to me like, you know what? But all of these names are hot right now. Let's just stick them all in a book. You know, Fabian Nicieza can always sell a book. I could not have been more confused seeing these cast of characters. Part of me was like, okay, I can understand why Charles is there. I can understand why Eric is there. I can maybe understand why Moira is there. But like, Hank was really weird to see there. <laughs> I love the choice of Amanda Muller as one of the eight. Have the uh, two of you read a lot with her in it? Or, like, are you kind of new to this character? Are you like, who the fuck is this lady? I'm familiar with her, but I was really surprised. This was like a birdie in the last X-Men Legends reference. This was just out of nowhere. I loved this. Uh, I have never heard of this character before. No idea who she is. Apparently she's the Black Womb. That's weird. <laughs> that is a really weird name. <laughs> uh, she was seen in Gambit number 13. That was her first appearance, you know, written by Fabian Nicieza. So this, this is a character he created. Yep. Literally have no idea what her role is in anything. It's so weird. Like, I don't have a complete history of her. I know she has a long-standing history with Brian Marco Kane's dad. And they were in a project with... Raven Darkholm and Irene Adler at one point in time in like 50s or maybe it was just I think it was just Irene I don't think Raven was part of it but like she's really got these long roots that I think Fabian really likes to play up and I don't think many people have taken up that cause since then. Well and that's something that I think we talk about a lot on this show that I really enjoy our discussion of and that's that certain writers have like long time mad-ons for certain characters and certain books and you can sort of trace that that you know sort Sort of inherent magic or that kind of mindscape that, you know, Fabian Nicieza is always going to return to essentially, and you know, not in a judgmental way, but Fabian Nicieza is just about always going to return to more or less this iteration of Mr. Sinister. He's not out here trying to reinvent Sinister the way perhaps Gillen was eager to, and in the ways that we have seen echo through the pages of X-Men ever since, and of course under the pen of Jonathan Hickman, amongst others. And I just feel like, you know, Fabian Nicieza is a guy who's like, nah, I ain't done yet. So I don't need to stop writing my master plan. It's exciting to see his further evolution of these same ideas over time. I don't have to gel with them to appreciate the attempt. Yeah, agreed, agreed. How did we feel when we got to the reveal? So, you know, we're set up with this, this phenomenal idea of, of bridging all these mutant minds together for dinner how did we feel with the whole when the revelation that the setup was that they are all clones having this phenomenal dinner for who knows why i'll be really honest with you i was more than anything aware it had to be clones or some other not quite in canon moment because there was no way 
this was going to be the first moment of Moira McTaggart post-Inferno. There was no way this was Moira McTaggart's reintroduction to the Marvel Universe in such a slapdash kind of other title. And, you know, we've seen it, we sort of see started seeing this with X-Men Legends a lot, where Doom has been showing up in the pages of S.W.O.R.D. So all of a sudden, there's a Doom story. And, you know, don't get me wrong, Peter David's always got his hands on Doom. But, like, yeah. suddenly it appeared. And, you know, especially now with all of this stuff coming out after the fact about how Hickman feels he made a number of mistakes editorially over the course of his tenure, including messing up his original plans for the return of Vulcan, which is in part why uh, something, you know, there's clearly something that started there, but didn't really go anywhere. And then suddenly we were allowed to talk about the third Summers brother again in X-Men Legends once Hickman was kind of bowing out. There's sort of this... Uh, pattern synergy apocalypse stops appearing in his new i'm a thoughtful daddy kind of but still very dom very sexual i still run an only fans from the garage you know, very, <laughs> still a very progressive dad in a lot of ways right so you know apocalypse kind of fades out of that because he's no longer appearing in x-men now that he's back with his family in you know another another realm of being and the resultant balance of that is he shows up again in legends so like i know you want to talk about about this book but i feel like i want to talk about this book like there is something so interesting to me he absolutely has had his feet in this world for so long getting to see him to come back to these characters it's really i don't know x-men legends is really doing something for me psychologically that i maybe didn't know i needed but it really is sort of filling in the gaps editorially not story-wise but like editorially moira can't show up in regular books for a little while here's moira okay 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 yeah because i did think it was a little weird like you were going to say that we would get a new moira story outside of just like any uh, regular main books like especially when we haven't gotten anything besides what hickman wanted to put in so like we haven't seen moira anywhere in any alternate tales or anything so yeah that okay makes sense now nathan i have to know how do you feel about some of this out of sequencing one of the things that's so crazy about X-Men Legends is how hard they're working to make it clear that these are like the stories you forgot, the tales you never knew. Like there's a <laughs> a kind of a, a jaunty 70s vibe to some of it. I know it's not 70s, it's 90s or it's 80s, and but it feels a lot like the King in Black spectacular Spider-Man stuff you and I covered a few months back where it's sort of like, you know, it really clearly is a story that didn't happen and like I, it didn't happen. <laughs> these characters it, this is a tree falling in the fucking woods because maybe this did happen but none of these people matter so how do you feel about like the sort of inconsequential stories that you love being told but so clearly inconsequentially it, it, it's always hard like even with uh, the king and black spider-man i picked it up because i was like oh my god monica rambeau as captain marvel is going to be in it but like none of the story made, like the same thing with this and with most of the with all of the x-men legends lines is it's Stuff that doesn't matter, um, and and that makes it hard to digest as a whole. Sometimes, even when you look at like the the reveal in the first issue that Adam at was really a Summers, like it didn't matter because nobody can remember that the thing happened. So that's sometimes a joy when you can see a tale from the past. But when you add it into whatever editorial synergy that they want, like you said, King and Black Spider Man really looked like it was like a editorial, like hey, these people are going to show up in MCU, let promote them in a book, and it seems like within the X line, X-Men Legends is doing the 
same thing. So Jonah, you are like, you're the guy who's always saying you want more slice of life. And I don't know that things get more slice of lifey than a random, this is, this, this is all of their lives. And now they're all dead. <laughs> so this is like literally what you wanted. This is just a bunch of crazy people hanging out, having a dinner party. I, how, I have. How dare you insinuate this is what I wanted? <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, one of those issues, which uh, it's part of why X Men Legends isn't my favorite thing to read because I don't know if I always have the prerequisite knowledge. Because sometimes it feels like I'm being thrown into a lake without any swimmies and being told, "Here you go, you can swim, right?" And I go, "Well, objectively, I know how to swim, sure, but I don't know how to navigate these waters. And objectively, I know who all these characters." are except for amanda <laughs> i didn't know this is how they were going to interact with one another it did just seem weird and out of place that they were having a dinner party that you know for being perfect clones you would have thought that like they thought it was weird that they're all all of them were together doing something like this like nobody had a thought to question like <laughs> wait huh and then they just started melting and it was weird and i i don't know why sinister made the clones like that like why did they only have three hours why did they start melting why why not just make them like perfect clones and then kill them afterwards you're sinister <laughs> i was just a little confused for this issue and then like um not to like really j- jump too far ahead but like when it got to the end and it's like sinister could save the world and it's like no he couldn't absolutely that's something sinister would say to sinister that's that's not true that's objectively not true <laughs> uh I, I i did love the idea of the art in this issue uh, and it some of it's really pulled off pulls off really well I, I did love the colors it gave us that really fun retro 95 i did think like and it's true to her color set so i did think amanda muller's colors looked a little strange next to everybody else's more superheroic colors even moira with that uh science jumper that she wears that's kind of like what are you doing it's like are you april o'neill or moira mctaggart but with with all of that going on i did think the art had a really 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 played a strong part in this issue what were you guys' feelings about the art you know i thought one of the things that works the most about X-Men Legends art that make, really makes this book click is that the art does usually feel pretty removed from the art going on in the books right now. So it does sort of like transport me to another place and that I really appreciate. I think this book could get silly quickly with uh, like leaning too far into the retro art or being too playful, right? So I really feel like the art here is so well chosen and they're picking people who could perform back then for the most part i mean a number of the people they've used have been more modern but they're still picking people from the eras that these books are meant to lock into who can still pull it off and i love that there's a real sense of continuity afforded by these stories by using such classic artists and uh jonah what did you feel about the art and the art style used so i have to agree with you nico i think that uh for me whenever I'm reading an X-Men Legends issue the strongest thing tends to be the art and a lot of that comes to the art returning to a very familiar place of trying to mimic what the art looked like during that time period that this story is meant to take place in so it's a very comforting feeling seeing this art and it's always, I like the way that the colors are used I like the art style, it's very um, I don't know the best way to describe it but it's just an art style that I appreciate and enjoy and I can I will always find something nice to say about the art for these issues. 
What about you, Nathan? Are you a Jurgens guy, or is this someone who you? Because I mean, Dan Jurgens has such a long history with comics. He's not like a newbie slouch or anything. So, <laughs> how do you feel about Jurgens and his art here? For the time period it's set in, for the story it's trying to tell, it's it's perfect. It's a real blast from the past on it. I love everything kind of about that part of it. I would say the bodies disintegrating. That was a really, really, really cool visual to see, and the Tesseract is a really, really cool artistic choice and really cool setup for that. And, you know, one of the things that I think that we're almost not like trying to skirt, but clearly it's almost difficult to talk about is how this issue is a confrontation of so many of the ideals, identities, and notions that define the era that these characters are from. While I do maybe feel like this is sort of like, I'm Moira in a jumpsuit, so you have no idea when I'm from. It's for the most part a, a pretty lock inable late 80s, early 90s kind of Fabian rising to power era, right? right. So I feel like this is sort of Fabian Nicieza being like, but please remember these were all brilliant, dastardly characters well before this was the Quiet Council. You know, and I think they ch- I think the decision to choose Beast here highlights how Beast has sort of fallen from grace and is now sitting with this caliber of people since he was last in these stories. I sometimes wonder when a guy like Fabian Nicieza, who has or a guy like Peter David, a, a guy like Louise Simonson, you know, all of these heavy hitters that are slotting into this title. I wonder how it feels to come back and look at their work 20 years out and say, you know, I created Apocalypse. And when I created him, he was a stand in for the owl. And now look at him. You know, he was literally just, they drew the outline of the owl into X Factor 5 and then Bob Layton quit. And so Wheezy Simonson was like, that's terrible. It can't be the owl. I'm sorry. And created Apocalypse in his stead. So, like, it's one of those things where she created this character kind of on a whim and right. now look at him and he's the family and Sabaner and you know then he is also Krakoa and Arako and these these creative minds who shaped the way we look at fiction they also shaped the way this fiction looks now you know what i mean like they still had effects on guys like John Hickman and they're still writing and these interesting things were like, you know, we're hearing about how Hickman feels like, oh, he never meant to have Havoc say that Sway and Petra were alive, so it ruined his Vulcan story, so he dropped it because it was ruined by that. Okay, you know, for every one of those, you know, Nisiez has got 50 in his box. And it's like he gets to pull them out over time. I think, if nothing else, we've kind of wildly vacillated on the relevance or value of a title like X-Men Legends. But I certainly think it is proving itself a worthwhile investigation of the psyche of the X-Writers. A guy like Nicieza is coming in and saying, you know, I did have an understanding of who Moira was. And I'm not even saying that it's like it's like dickery. And I hope it's not coming yeah. off like dickery. It's sort of like you're all sharing this character. You don't all have the same vision of this character. Take a look at a guy like Wolverine, who from book to book, he is not consistent. Take a look at Laura. I don't know that I think Dugan and Hickman's Laura from X-Men to X-Men is the same fluid character. Oh, gosh, no, no. And 
you know, they're still both Laura, though, aren't they? They are. They are. So I, I really feel like this is a statement from because I don't want to call him an old timer because it makes it sound negative. It's like, oh, he's an old timer. No, no, no. I, I really like using like classic writer or like longtime scribe because he he's you know, come and gone over the years. But I just, I really think that this issue more than most kind of reminded me why this series should exist, but maybe why it desperately needs to be digital. With the stories that we've gotten out already, we've seen some interesting stories. Are there any X-Men Legends eras or stories that you would really like them to revisit with this X-Men Legends line? I know me, there's a few stories that never came out that I'd love to, and I know it's a little bit later than where we are, but I'd love to then revisit the telekinetic and telepathy swap between Betsy and Jean like that's a crazy story that I really need to see come out and it happens so we can just figure out how it happened also uh, I'd love to see and I know we'll never get this uh, there was originally supposed to be a, a Phoenix series by Clues Claremont that really explained Rachel's early days in Mojo World and I'd love to see something like that now I myself I'm pretty partial to a couple of like forgettable eras unfortunately but Right around the time of New X-Men and Extreme X-Men was a really divisive X-Men run known as Joe Casey's Uncanny X-Men. And it featured the introduction of my precious Stacey X. It had some really bold storytelling. It had just about the terroriest mystique uh, for a really long time. And it was a really bold era and perhaps not the nicest era. Maybe not the cleanest era. Perhaps not the most focused storytelling, and ultimately, while Grant Morrison would go on to write 41 issues of their incredible run of New X-Men, while Chris Claremont would do 46 issues of Extreme X-Men, plus Four Savage Land, plus the annual, plus two expose, plus six <laughs> mechanics, like that book wouldn't fucking quit, plus there's some X-Men Unlimited stories in there, plus you can count the revolution shit, you know, like, Extreme is ultimately like 100 issues, right? But Joe Casey's X-Men is 16 issues, and it had such an impact on me so deeply for so long as like like this unloved other child, like this other, this part of a trilogy that everybody forgets. And there's a similar thing in Daredevil. The 1986 trilogy of Daredevil is considered the high point of Daredevil and series contributor TK just read the whole thing in a weekend and was like mind blown by how fucking incredible all of that is and came out in like one year. And that's Daredevil Born Again, Electra Assassin, and Daredevil Love and War. And Daredevil Love and War is the most forgotten piece of Daredevil, like ever. And it's equally good and it's equally powerful. It's maybe not assassin good. It's maybe not born again good, but it's like excellent. And we still see people reference it to this day. That's what I want for Joe Casey's Uncanny. I want somebody to come in and say, these are the stories that we never got to tell. I know just about none of the creatives from that time would be able to come back at this point. But, you know, it, it's just a really special time for me, clearly from the way I'm waxing poetic about it. There was a single issue follow-up a few years later by Joe Casey with art by the now tragically departed Juan Leon. So, you know, there's there's still more out there of it, but it that's the kind of thing I think Legends needs. It needs to touch back on a run that clearly has an effect on the voices of Phantom <laughs> 20 years later, where a number of us that are on these podcasts can't stop talking about it. So I would love, and this is for you, Nathan, the Outback era. <laughs> okay. <Yay. laughs> okay. 
that's what I want. I want more Outback era, and I would also love more Savage Land era, because I particularly like the X-Men in the Savage Land, because I like the costumes that they give those characters. Yes! <laughs> and that is as great of a reason to want to run as any as I can think of either. Like, ooh, actually, yeah. Okay, well, because- both eras. Both eras have some nice cheesecake in there. You know, we hear things like Arturo say he's going to burn the motherfucking house down if he doesn't get a swimsuit. A swimsuit. We're not going to ever <laughs> say that it ever happened. He says he's going to burn the motherfucking house down if he doesn't get a swimsuit special. And you know what? I kind of love that. I don't mean this stupid, but make the X-Men Legends Annual a swimsuit special. Oh, yes. Why not? The X-Men not? Legends Annual? You can put a different swimsuit cover in any era you want bring back classic artists i really think something like an x-men legends annual swimsuit issue a guide to the mansion with its ever-changing blueprints a a series on the different x-jets there's a lot to be mined from these voices i think part of it is not everything needs to be 20 pages like i would have liked this a lot more at eight pages oh yeah easy and that's that's kind of the the common tragedy of the dexterity of, the, of these works. <laughs> or, Marvel, if you don't want to do any of that, why not just give us a swimsuit calendar? You're telling me the X-Men haven't sold the old, their own merch of a swimsuit calendar? <gasps> <laughs> so you mean so in-universe in X-Men actually taking the pictures? Wow, okay. I would like to see uh, Yeah, In-universe, but also out of universe. If you don't want to like, yeah. even make a whole book out of it, just give us a calendar. They're very oh, okay. easy to make. <laughs> I thought you were talking about like the X-Men in-universe universe making a swimsuit calendar i was like oh no i think it's both i would love in real life irl jonah me hi sitting here on my bed i would love an official x-men calendar swimsuit but also i think the x-men in order to raise money because they were all poor when warren wasn't there and i have no idea how they got any money and i will never stop talking about how charles xavier was a reverse sugar baby he kept taking warren's money even though he has too much to ever notice how much was being taken when they were on some hard times and they couldn't fix the danger room, you were telling me that they didn't pose in swimsuits and sell it like firefighters do? <laughs> no, they held car washes outside the school. <laughs> I think they do that now. They just have, like, Krakoa's angels, bad boys of Krakoa, sexy scientists of Krakoa. You're just naming the porno versions of things, which is also, you know, probably pretty accurate, but that's not what we're talking about. I also imagine that the iBoy calendar is just iBoy smiling places, fully clothed, just but like waving high, smiling at you places. And it's just like the sweetest, most wholesome calendar. It's him oh. hugging amazing baby. It's him and Lockheed looking cool. Like I I iBoy, iBoy. <laughs> Can you hear me, iBoy? I think this is the calendar we need. I really want that iBoy calendar now. Just like like, you know, you got a picture of him eating ice cream and like with an ice cream cone. Yeah. It'd be really sweet, really wholesome. But I did also like the idea of a sexy scientist of Krakoa calendar. Like, was it like Dr. Nemesis posing with his mushrooms? Oh, absolutely. He's got a different kind of mushroom head out. Um <laughs> That's only on his OnlyFans. Oh man, I would it's on his only fun guy. And <laughs> only I, uh, fun guy. I would subscribe to that way too hard. I love him. 
Uh, and speaking of Dr. Nemesis, like, it's so stupid, but hear me out. Way of X was way too short, right? Yeah. Why can't we get an X-Men Legends set during Way of X? Get Bob Quinn and Cy Spurrier in a room and see if they can't recapture the magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Did we get to see Dazzler's first date with Nemesis? That would be... Uh... Oh, my God. Issue 4.5, Dazzler's date with Nemesis. Everything going on in the background and Nemesis is trying to pull off the this date oh god 